Join us as we interview Dr. Sandra Tabo of Art of Loving Life. Sandra shares with us about the journey of moving from Navy psychologist and Marine Corps consultant to Psyche facilitator. She discusses the importance of freeing energy from past traumatic experiences so we can be more fully present. Sandra shares how Psyche can increase our quality of life and help us find greater meaning by becoming more conscious and aware. Welcome to Choice Point Radio. We are always at a choice point. What will you choose to enhance your life? Join Karen McKay of Subconscious Change as she interviews Sandra Thibault of Art of Loving Life. Today's topic is Shifting Trauma Effortlessly. I'm Richard Tashma, the producer for Choice Point Radio. And here is your host, Karen McKay. Hello, everyone. It's a delight to be able to be with you again. Today we have Dr. Sandra Tebo. She is a former lieutenant commander who spent four years as a Navy psychologist and consultant to the Marine Corps' first Special Forces Group. After serving her country, she worked as a behavioral medicine specialist and hospital psychologist for Kaiser Permanente. She is now the founder of Stress Intel, a fellow and board member of the American Institute of Stress, and the author of several books, including The Art of Loving Life. She balances her time between her private practice in Denver, doing corporate trainings, and raising her two young children. Welcome, Sandra. So happy to have you on with us today. Thank you, Karen. So happy to be here. Yeah. Well, we want to get to know you. So love to hear more about how you got into the world of psychology to begin with, and then how in the world did you find your way into Psyche? Yes, that's kind of an interesting story. I'm one of the lucky people who knew at a very young age what, what she wanted to do. So pretty much by the time I was a freshman in high school, I decided I was going to get a Ph.D. in psychology. And how that came about was I came across a book in my house, on mental illnesses and it piqued my curiosity and so I started reading psychology today and there were articles on artificial intelligence about it and I decided that's what I want to do I want to make a computer think like a brain and so these articles were written by PhD psychologists and I decided well that's what I need to do in order to go into this field is get a PhD in psychology so I made this decision at 13 years old, and wow. then when I got to <laughs> when I got to graduate school, I was on a clinical psychology track and realized that um, there's something about this clinical psychology track that doesn't seem to be leading me into artificial intelligence. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I was enjoying helping people and so I continued down that road and and became a clinical psychologist and specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy and had again an interesting psychology career because unlike a lot of other psychologists who spend most of their time in uh, clinics I worked in hospitals so I saw people who were who not only had emotional illnesses but also physical illnesses so I've mm -hmm. worked with uh, in ERs, I've worked on med surge units, labor and in, 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 uh, uh, labor and delivery, delivery units. Yeah, in ICU, NICU. So it's been an interesting career path. Absolutely, it sounds really fascinating. Out of all those departments, which one was your favorite? 
I would have to say the ER. It's kind of unexpected what you're going to see coming in. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you can do the most work. It's the most immediate, uh, you see the most immediate, uh, uh, what do you say, positive response from it. And it's kind of what I like about Psyche as well. Hmm. Well, so how did you go from, because you ended up having a private practice, right? After you did all of this work with the uh, hospitals and stuff, then you moved into doing a private practice in Denver. Is that right? Yes, I moved out of California, came to Denver, and started doing corporate trainings for companies, and then started missing my work with individuals. And so I had started a private practice, and right around the same time, I had read uh, Bruce Lipton's book, The Biology of Belief, and I ended up reading it like three times. It's I mm -hmm. have to say it's one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. And that's kind of how I came across Psyche and started taking the classes to become a facilitator. Yeah, and, and you're quite an amazing facilitator at Psyche for sure. Well, so you you were um how did you, how did you bring Psyche into your private practice or did you or what was what was the kind of the steps that you went through. Where are you at now? Yeah, um, well it, to me it felt like it was a natural progression because my specialty was cognitive behavioral therapy which help, which was focused around helping clients understand how their thoughts were really influencing their feelings and their beliefs and their lives in general. And so in understanding the principles of Psyche just seemed very natural to me. Well of course if, if these are your beliefs this is the way your life is going to show up. Um, but Site K has, is, has, is a process that gets right down to the subconscious level and shifts those beliefs right away. Unlike what I was doing as a traditional therapist, it just takes a little bit longer through cognitive behavioral therapy. But with Site K, it's a lot faster, it's a lot more immediate, it's a lot broader in terms of the different aspects of a person's life that we can shift. So it, so I took the classes and, you know, being the type A person that I am, I've taken them more than once because I'm determined <laughs> to be really good at it. Absolutely. That's the only way to do it, you know, have lots of, of experiences and grow, grow, grow. Um, well, yeah, now you've, you've mentioned um, in other conversations that uh, trauma is kind of an interesting area for you. Would you like to share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, I think a lot of people think of traumas as these major events, you know, um, a car accident or a death or uh, violence, um, but really uh, trauma is anything, any kind of event that your system is overwhelmed by and can't fully process. And so it holds on to some of that energy and it shows up sometimes in the form of you know, memories that you'd rather not have or you or feelings of God, I wish I'd never gone through that or things that you'd rather forget, disappointments. Um, so anything as small as like an insult or a critical remark or a disappointment, if you don't fully process that in the moment, becomes a trauma that your body holds on to. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm happy to have you um share more about that because you know so many times people think that uh, traumas are really only huge events and I mean even a wedding even though that's a very 
supposed to be a happy occasion, that can be traumatizing for people. <laughs> so maybe could you share a little bit more about even things like that that are supposed to be happy um, that, that can be a challenge? Exactly, exactly. Um, whenever we're overwhelmed by any situation, you know, our, our, our brains can only process so much information at a time. Your conscious mind processes a small fraction of what your subconscious mind is able to process. And so consciously you're processing as much as you can and the rest is going into your subconscious mind and then it influences any future events. And so, um, what Psyche does is it helps to release a lot of that energy. So through muscle testing, you know, we find and release the energy that's anchoring the trauma. And there could be hundreds of beliefs around that that we're not even that we're not even aware of. And mm -hmm. it the result is you're a freeing of energy and a, and a greater sense of well-being. You're able to approach situations kind of like on a clean slate without the baggage of the past holding you back or influencing how you're interpreting the present event. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, even in my own personal experience, I've had a number of things that I would call traumatic and uh, deaths of family members and things like that, that, you know, it's, it is overwhelming. And I think one of the important things for people to understand about the use of Psyche is that it's not about making people forget um, the event, but it's more about remembering the event but putting a different um, energy spin on it. So instead of, um, like for instance, uh, when my mother died, rather than having the 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 event and then the subsequent things that came about because of her death rather than staying stuck in this overwhelming feeling of oh my god you know now what um, I was able to to quickly process the information and um, deal with it in a way that made sense for me and for those that I, I love versus um, maybe being stuck in a in a very deep hole of grief and not being able to move beyond it. I think the Psyche work has been really helpful for um, to help people move through quickly from one side to another, from the, from the event to the other side of now I can move on with my life. Would you like to share a little bit yes, more about that? Maybe? Absolutely. I've also had, you know, I can also speak to it on a personal level as well because in working with another Psyche facilitator, um, I had just chosen what I consider to be a small event, but um, like I said, you know, even what we consciously think of as a small event could be a trauma. And so in my mind, I was thinking it was a small event, but of course, it was a memory that, you know, gosh, I wish I, that had never happened. So what happened was when I was a child, maybe I was about eight years old, and it was my birthday, and my brother and my cousin were outside playing, and they, you know, fell off of her father's car because they're goofing around. And I got in trouble for that. And I'm thinking, you know, this is my birthday party. Why should I be held responsible for what these two did when I wasn't even watching them? Why should I be watching them on my birthday? So, you know, as an adult, you kind of go, you know, well, why be upset about that? That's so long ago. Get over it. All of those, you know, those mm -hmm. things. Sure. Little did I know it's still hanging around in my body, right? Because my little eight-year-old person wasn't didn't fully process what happened at the time. So... We did Psyche, she and I together, and I felt immediately relieved. The memory, like you said, the memory is still there, but it doesn't have the same energy that it used to be 
And then this past September, I and after immediately after that, I realized that I had always kept my birthday almost like a secret. Like I never told anybody like my birthday's oh coming my up. Gosh. Um and I always kind of downplayed, oh, it's just another day. And, and I could logically, you know, rationalize all of that. Nobody would think that there was something wrong with me over the whole birthday thing. It just was like, okay, she just doesn't care about her birthday. It's just, you know, not a big deal. At this year, this is like, you know, this is the first birthday after working with the Psyche Facilitator. This year, I have to say, I threw the biggest party I ever threw for myself. I had so many friends surrounding me. I had told I told everybody, you know, far enough in advance that they could make plans to come to the party. It was a ton of food. It was amazing. And I don't think that ever would have happened had I not gone through the psyche. Wow, that is incredible. So you're saying then, at least I'm connecting the dots, that you you would never have had the party had you not dealt with the trauma of the little eight-year-old girl getting in trouble for her family members getting hurt off the car. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Just going through that, it just it released the energy, and and you know, and I, it's not something that you would ever think of as a as a trauma, but I think we need to expand our definition of trauma to include just any event you know whether our conscious mind wants to label it big or small or good or bad or right or wrong any event that the mind isn't able to fully process at the moment that it's happening the body has to store it somewhere for you to deal with it later except we never consciously deal with it later we just go oh get over it it's okay it didn't matter it wasn't a big deal you know get some therapy and just move past it or whatever but you know how do you Traditional psychotherapy doesn't always deal with the physical, emotional, energetic side of the the experience. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, like you said earlier, you you kind of thought you dealt with this, and right, I didn't even so, think it was an issue. <laughs> right, and so then when you when you did what we call muscle testing, which is allowing the body's um, system to work with. Um, sharing with the, the system how we can see energy in the body by using uh, the muscles, it it allows us to identify that there is still stuck energy when you think a certain thought. And right. so when you found out that you still had um, a stuck pattern here, uh, you were then able to go ahead and process that information to the point where you no longer felt that same kind of a stuck energy. Right. And I could think about the memory without any kind of, you know, ickiness attached to it. Yeah, that's fabulous. You know? And how freeing is that? I mean, how many of us are walking around with memories that are, you know, attached to some kind of negative feeling? And, and how much freer could they be if, you know, like you said, you're not going to forget it, but you're not going to have that kind of, you know, heavy limiting energy attached to it, keeping you from, from moving forward with your life in, an, in a lighter, more freer fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your definition of, of trauma, that it's any event, at least, at least this is what I wrote down, any event the mind can't fully process at the time. Right. Yeah, that's, that's great. Because I've always thought about... Um, things well I should say not always but within the last several years as I've been helping people more and more with psyche processes is that 
the things that they pull up that they call um, having a, a traumatic you know impact for them they're not always the big hairy scary things that one would anticipate it's you know it's opposite of that I mean sometimes it's even just um, you know, at the birth of a child or the the coming, you know, arrival of the baby, they're they're scared about that, or they're overwhelmed with those feelings of, can I be a good parent? Am I going to be able to make this happen? So there's even traumatic feelings about a, a future event. The baby hasn't even been born yet, and they're right. already, you know, experiencing this state of heightened anxiety and inability to to process it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I remember. My own, um, my own family. When I was getting ready to have my my first daughter, I had had a miscarriage before that, and um, after I found out I was pregnant again, I thought, oh my God, you know, maybe you know, maybe this baby isn't going to make it, you know. And so I lived in just constant concern and fear. And this was, of course, years years ago before I ever had psyche in my life. But I was so concerned that that baby wasn't going to to be born because yeah. the first one hadn't made it and mm -hmm. talking with my mom she had told me that there had been a miscarriage before mine and like that was supposed to make it easier or better for me <laughs> and wow. I suppose maybe in some way it did because it's like well I, I did get here but um, but there was that that deep-seated concern and even when I had my second child and I'd had a you know a successful first pregnancy um, I still had these feelings of maybe he's not gonna make it you know maybe this one won't won't come to fruition too and mm -hmm. so that whole that whole experience of pregnancy was just so um, so nerve-wracking and then of course my husband at that time was you know doing his best to prepare and be ready and do all that he could and you know he looked at it more from the financial side and so there's all the pressures that we put on ourselves and I think now about how we could help people you know feel more relaxed about upcoming events even and help them process the things that have already happened so right. that they're more present to the process they're more present to the the beautiful experience of having you know having a baby or having an upcoming wedding or having you know something wonderful that's about to take place so exactly. maybe there's some things you'd like to share about that yeah, to be fully present in any aspect of your life. Like I have a, I had one client who was uh, being held back by a previous incident with a supervisor, and the supervisor was heavily critical. And we use we together we worked with Psyche to release that that uh, the energy around that incident. She's now fully present at work and loving her job, whereas before it was just something that she just didn't want to go to every day. That was yeah. a huge shift. Well, yeah, and we spend so many hours at you know at our work doing whatever it is we're doing, whether we're employed at home or we're employed in a corporation or wherever. Right. If we're not loving every moment of it, why be there? <laughs> you know. Yes. And a lot of times, the, it's not even the job itself. So sometimes people, they start, you know, I've, I have, you know, I've had a couple of clients where it's been work-related issues. They've come to me, and they're thinking, well, maybe I picked the wrong career. Maybe I need to find another job. And then we start doing the muscle testing, and we start finding the traumas, and we start relieving those. And all of a sudden, they're loving their job. They feel like this, they did make the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's so exciting. You know, it's work is about at least I would like work 
to be productive, happy time where people feel like they're making a significant contribution through whatever way they do that. And yet so many people think about work as you know drudgery or it's just awful and they don't want to go. And that's, you know, if we could all go to work every day looking forward to what we're going to, to deal with and, and have fun with the challenges that show up in that environment, we would, I think we would have a very different kind of productivity level in the world, don't you? I agree. I totally agree. And I, and I also believe, my, it's my belief that people enter into the, the field that they do because there is an intrinsic love of it and there's something that they feel connected to and then it gets covered up by different experiences, sometimes unpleasant experiences that make them question their original choice. And, mm. and just by clearing out all of that negative energy, they find the joy in their life again. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved what you were talking about earlier is that it's not always the job because I think a lot of times people get hung up on, oh, this isn't interesting anymore. And when we go back in and, and kind of sort through the pieces of what's going on with a person, we find out that it isn't what they're doing. They still like or enjoy the what. It's the it's this old energy pattern, perhaps, of a an argument that they had with a coworker, or the boss yeah. didn't appreciate them, or they didn't perceive that the boss appreciated their contributions, or you know, or whatever. And so then that gets translated into I don't like like what I'm doing anymore. Right. Right. And you know, maybe people have spent years. Um, really perfecting their their skill or their trade and it's a significant and huge loss to so many to have a, a skilled person leave a, a work environment just because they're unhappy so I'm just getting another perspective on this Sandra that you know it's it's a great opportunity to help people preserve their contributions and to engage back into their environment and maybe it's not maybe they've outgrown the company but maybe they really still love what they're doing, it's just that they are no right. longer feeling um, valued. And so that's another great area Psyche can help people with is um, touching back in and getting a hold of, of that sense of value again. Maybe, um, I know you'd like to do lots of different kinds of things, trauma isn't the only thing that you help people with, so maybe talking about you know personal self-value or some other things would be helpful here now. Yes, yes. I have I work with other clients as well on relationship issues as well. Um and a lot of it a lot of the times it comes down to uh family of origin uh stuff. Mm -hmm. So issues with mothers, fathers, and again it always comes down to just releasing a lot of the negative energy that's that's keeping them from fully participating and enjoying their life. So it's, it's a general increase in quality of life to clear up relationship stuff that, mm -hmm. they, that they have. So it's not just work, um, I, but the, the, underlying, the underlying premise is still the same in terms of finding meaning in their lives, finding meanings and real human interaction and human connections. So um, trying to think of anything specific I can talk about in terms of clients. Well, I have one who is dealing, an adult, who is dealing with, and it turns out to be perceived expectations from family. And so we did a lot of stuff around beliefs around what the family expected and how he wasn't living up to their family, his family's expectations. After uncovering a lot of these different beliefs and making the shifts, 
he had a family interaction and came to realize this was all in his head. <laughs> oh, wow. That's incredible. And it, it because all those energies were gone, he can now see that his family really loved him and really accepted him, and the, the relationships between them got so much closer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I... I You've hit on a key element here is about perception um, because perception is what takes us into the formulation of our beliefs a lot of times for people. When when we have a, a perception of something, it doesn't mean it's even true, just like what you're saying. You know, it could have been that he had an old perception from how things were when he was 8 or 10 years old and now that he's an adult, that perception is still being cast onto him as an adult and so he's still living from that young perception which has absolutely probably no bearing on the whole deal so yeah. our perceptions are, are very um, we have to hold those in a realm of question every perception <laughs> because we, absolutely but we don't even think about that you know I I think about it of course because I work with psyche so much but um, the other thing is too about perceptions is it's oftentimes our old stories create perceptions, you know, and then we cast a shadow of perception onto something that doesn't even belong there. Right, so, and then we send it to our future to to determine our future. Exactly, and it could even be just a perception of oh, somebody's going to think this about me or somebody's going to feel this about me, so I'm not going to do this now. You know, and it and the story is something that we make up that has absolutely no truth to it. Right. And we don't even know we're making it up because we believe everything we think. Right. <laughs> yeah. Boy, can we really get ourselves tangled up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, let's talk about um, how you how do you work with clients? What do you enjoy in the in the um, realm of psyche because you're doing a lot of, of psyche work now with people is that right yes I am I am you know I have some clients I see in person some are over the phone some are online so it's I work with them in, di in many different modalities um, some of them are familiar with psyche already and mm -hmm. some of them are open-minded and in the process of working together they're introduced to the psyche format um, so I, so it's, it's, I work in different, with different levels of people in terms of getting them to really, uh, what should I say, understand that Psyche has a, a true scientific basis to it and it's not this, um, you know, woo-woo, fairy, I'm not sure how this works, maybe it doesn't, doesn't work, that it actually has a scientific basis to it. Yeah, well, would you like to share how that has... Um, how you weave that into a conversation with people because sometimes you know we have listeners that are on the program and they're they're just catching this information for the first time and this may be the very first interview that they even hear about psyche so how would you how would you explain that to um, your clients and let's pretend that our one of our listeners is interested in this sure and and that the listener is not familiar with psyche yeah yeah okay so um, what I start uh, clients by saying is, well, I do, I also include a demonstration on muscle testing as well. And I mm -hmm. tell them that, you know, our cells communicate to each other through electrical signals as well as chemical signals. And that those chemical signals and the electrical signals are affected by our thoughts. 
and that our, whenever we have a positive thought, it sends one type of neurotransmitter down the, through, the, through, the, through the cells. And then when we have a positive thought, it, it transmits another cell, another neurotransmitter down the cells. And so basically, we have an entire electromagnetic field around us based on just the way the cells are put together and how they mm -hmm. communicate with each other. And so yeah. muscle testing, and I use, I use the, the words that you, you, that you had uh, helped me to understand is that in all, although in colloquialism we use the word muscle testing, it's really not, mu we're not testing muscle strength, we're just testing muscle signals. And so we're testing the signals that the brain is, is sending through the muscles. And so when we say something that the subconscious mind believes is true, or agrees with, then it sends a type of signal that allows the muscles to retain their strength. And when the when we say something that our subconscious mind does not agree with or, or does not believe, then it's not able to maintain that same level of strength. And so I start them off with, well, this is how your body works, and this is why it, you know, you're able to keep your arm up as opposed to not being able to keep your arm up as well. And so then they start to see it for themselves when we start doing the muscle testing. And a, the, a lot of the response that I get from people is like, whoa, that was really weird when they mm -hmm. see the difference. So it's a combination of hearing it, of course, on a conscious level, and then experiencing it as well, the, mm -hmm. the, the subconscious difference between seeing a statement that is true and then not saying, and then seeing a statement that is false. So, right. and then the um, videos that, that, Bruce Lipton and Rob Williams create also is another tool that I use to help people understand how Psyche works and the scientific basis behind that because I think Bruce Lipton does a million times better job of explaining it than I can so <laughs> I let him good. do all the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. He is really um, so so vibrant in his own energy and, and he's so um, able to take more complex items and understandings and break them down into a way that people can really uh, understand it regardless of what education level they've had because he's just that amazing at communicating the information. So yeah, there's definitely, um, and for anybody that's interested uh, in finding out about those videos, you can pull them up on YouTube. The first one that uh, Bruce Lipton did is called The uh, Biology of Perception. And then that is followed with Rob Williams. And it's not Robin Williams, it's Rob Williams. And it is the psychology of change. So those are two great videos. Um, they're older videos, but the information is still very, very um, important information. There's nothing that's outdated about the information. Um, Rob just looks a little bit more mature, and so does Bruce now. <laughs> but the information is great. Um, well, fantastic. So thanks for letting us know how you share that. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, what, what is motivating you to use the Psyche processes in your practice and um, to be a Psyche facilitator now. You know, it's the same thing that motivated me actually to be a, uh, become a psychologist. I don't. I think there's nothing more satisfying than being able to know that you contributed to helping somebody's life. But the psyche does it so much faster and at a deeper core level that really improves a person's well-being in a way that I have never seen anything else be able to do. I truly am feel lucky to have discovered Psyche and blessed 
to have met you and taken classes from you and I feel like I I am the luckiest person to be able to do what I'm doing. Psyche shifts people's lives in a way that I've never seen before and it does it in a clean, effortless, core level faster than anything I've ever seen. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it is very, very um, fast and it's easy and I think that's one of the wonderful things too to share with everybody is that you know, here you are from a very um, prominent psychologist background, yet these are skills and processes that anybody can learn how to do. I mean, even children that are, you know, 10 or so can easily learn what to do and how to do these processes. We don't typically have a lot of kids using Psyche at this point in time. That may show up later on down the road. But mm -hmm. if but the instruction, what I'm trying to get at is that the instruction and the ease of using the processes is something that even a 10-year-old could, could grab onto. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and I love that because, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could start raising a world of children that would test to find out if this is a healthy belief for them or not, you know, if, if, if this is a good idea in their life and, um, and then change their beliefs if they really felt that uh, they wanted to have something better be their, their belief. Yes. And we would have a, a very different world, you know, if our, if our children and even our, our teenagers just to start questioning themselves and saying, is this really what I want to believe or not? Because, you know, when we get to be teenagers, we're stuck with all that peer pressure and I remember in my own early teens I was doing everything I could to just fit in you know and um, to be able to step back a step or two and say wow is this is this a good idea <laughs> is what my friends want to do a good idea because I think it's a good idea or am I doing it because of peer pressure right we have very different outcomes with our teens too I agree I agree that reminds me of a story of, of my son, if it's okay to like talk yeah. about the, a time that it, one of the many times I've used Psyche with, with my son. Um, so he's, he's practicing his spelling words and he's getting frustrated and he's going, this is so hard, I can't do this. And I said, come here. <laughs> so we did Psyche together and then he went to bed and in the morning I said, well, you know, you're going to have to review your, your spelling words because you got a test, you know, at school today. And so he started reviewing his, his, his words and I think he may have forgotten that we even did the Psyche together the night before because he started going, he goes, this is really easy today. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> I'm thinking, of course it's easy today. We don't have the same beliefs that we had yesterday. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, since we brought it up with children, let's talk about it. Um, uh, Psyche can be used with kids and very effectively. Uh, oh, absolutely. Typically, you know, we, we talk about in class that children by the age of seven have enough um, kind of a global perspective, they have enough language, they have enough ability to concentrate, they have enough ability to um, stay, you know, stay focused with the processes, um, they can describe what their, their challenge is, it, you know, it would obviously be more simply described than what an adult would describe a challenge as, but they have, they have the ability to, um, to articulate what it is that they would uh, like to have happen and be different. And so, 
as, as early as seven years old, really, we could be working with children to help them with these processes, at least on a face-to-face -face, um, basis. And I, I just really encourage people to work with their children and help them um, learn these processes you know, for themselves as parents because we can transfer uh, the same information into our home environment that we're using for our own benefit in our work environment or wherever we might um, engage it. And, and the children are able to do better in school. Um, you know, they can be less stressed for sure. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they, you know, we see great improvements and, and things like that. And, you know, there's certainly no promises that we can make that a child is going to have an easier time. But it just makes common sense that if yeah. we're not so stressed, then we obviously can participate more fully. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's part of what you saw with your son is that he was able to, um, the stress was relieved and he had a different belief system now about this is easy to do these words or learn learn my vocabulary or whatever the magic you know statement was you balanced with him. Yes. But um, it, it let his system operate differently. Absolutely, absolutely. And I completely agree. I mean, there's no way of telling to what percentage, but certainly it's a large percentage of who we are as adults has to do with what happened to us prior to age seven. Mm -hmm. So it's huge. It's huge because, at, you know, you're, you're in a consistent theta state until then. And so you're just absorbing everything that goes along that happens around you with no way of filtering it out. And it's not until you're you're older where you start to try to consciously make different decisions and you're at the mercy of your subconscious beliefs that came in before you even had the ability to filter out whether you wanted it in your mind or not. Well, exactly. So let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> so, you know, you're mentioning the being in the theta brainwave activity. We're, we're really sponges, basically, when, um, when we're children. And depending on the child there's you know anywhere between 6 and 7 7 and 8 the theta brainwave activity is not remaining to be the prominent brainwave activity the beta brainwave activity is starting to kick in where we can use judgment and discernment and evaluation and things like that a lot of times parents get so frustrated with a child because they say why didn't why didn't you just think that through better or you know why did you do that and the child can't even really um, answer that question because right. they don't know. <laughs> you know right. They don't, have they don't know. Yeah, and they, they don't, don't have know. the ability to do that. Yeah. No, so, because prior to that, it's just everything that's just being absorbed into them. They, they watch you, they watch the world, and they just absorb it as if that's the way it's supposed to be, that's the way they're supposed to act, and it's not until they're older where they actually have the capacity to judge and say, this is why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And even then, it's, it's a rationalization because unless you actually test your subconscious mind, you really don't know why you're doing it. You're making up a reason. Right, right. Well, so when, when we're um, working with these developmental times with children, you know, I think it's helpful for us to realize that the children don't have the ability to discern and make decisions. But also we want to be considering that whatever we are demonstrating for our children, they're just absorbing it. And um, to become aware, like to be consciously, conscious parenting, you know, remove yourself 
from the children's presence if you need to have a very strong and animated discussion perhaps that might have anger <laughs> associated with it so that you know the kids aren't just in the midst of a fight because that's not really going to help them and you know what from a parenting aspect um, Sandra what are there any other tips that you might want to share in regards to helping parents with subconscious um, helping them do better parenting because you work with families too right yes yes and a lot of it has to do with becoming more conscious and being more aware because most most people walking around they're they're really only present maybe five percent of the time the rest of the time their subconscious mind is is running their lives and if you can increase your level aware of awareness from at least five percent to ten percent that's huge that's doubling right there um, to just be aware of how you're saying the things that you're saying not just the words that you're using and then especially the during the times where your children are present but you think they're not paying attention that's when they're paying the most attention mm -hmm. their subconscious to, certainly is yes is to be aware whenever they're within earshot or eye shot to know that they're watching everything that you're doing and don't understand why you're doing it they just absorb it mm -hmm. so always you know I what I do with my kids is I always take the worst case scenario um, idea I you know whenever something happens I just think okay what is this gonna look like 20 years from now mm. <laughs> that's what I always ask myself I'm like okay they're doing this now what is this gonna look 20 years from that from now because I see sometimes children doing things that look cute because they're three not gonna be so cute when they're 13 you know right. whether it's what they're wearing how they're how, what they're saying you know the music they're listening to um, their behavior you know it's you know a little you know five-year-old girl who's sassy it could be cute but when she's 15 you don't want that sassiness anymore so but right. if you're waiting until she's 14 to knock it out you know you're in trouble so that's my general rule is how what is this gonna look like in 20 years what is the mm -hmm. effect of, of viewing this what is the effect of viewing this movie today going to be in 20 years or what is the effect of listening to this type of music now going to do in 20 years right well and you're even giving examples of just a 10 year difference from you know 3 year old or a 5 year old to 13 or 15 yeah. and yeah it's um it's something that we as parents do need to pay attention to because um and I know I I did the same thing with my kids they're they're grown now and uh my daughter's 26 and my son's 24 and you know they've I think they've turned out pretty darn good but I remember going through some very painful times with my kids when they were in their um, 15 year age range and it was a challenge because I thought man how did this happen how how did I you know how did this happen to me and how did this happen to my kid because this I didn't think I had raised them this way but mm -hmm. there must have been something that and maybe it wasn't all me you know if we have environment that we live in and everything too but somehow they were nurtured into um, to becoming very kind of almost confrontive and now that I'm saying this I'm thinking okay but was that really a bad thing you know because I my daughter and I really got into it uh, for a while when she was 15 and I'm just realizing as I'm saying this is that she actually was doing exactly what I had trained her to do I had you know at a subconscious level I think I had trained her to to um, 
confront challenge and mm-hmm. to to stand her ground and that's what she was doing with me at 15 so I did set that up and I will own that um, <laughs> <laughs> well that's and, the hard thing too is because there you'll you because I know you know I see sometimes with my daughter she'll exhibit a behavior where which as a parent is difficult to deal with but I recognize that as an adult that's a character skill she's gonna need so right. it's kind of there's some sometimes you know it's it's hard to you know you also want to be aware of you know is this behavior something you really want to squash out of your child or is this something that is not appropriate right now but is something they're gonna need when they're an adult you know so like you're right. saying your daughter being able to stand up to authority you want that kind of you know you don't want to raise a conformist but mm-hmm. as a parent, you also <laughs> conformity is is kind of you know what you want out of your kids. So it's a double-edged sword. For sure, yeah. There's definitely a time and a place for all of it. Yeah. All right, oh my Sandra, goodness. Well, conform when I'm talking, but when we're with somebody else, I want you to stand up for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, don't talk back to me. Talk back to somebody else, but not to me. <laughs> Our daughter is almost 19, a university student now, and when she was young, I'm, I made a deliberate effort and choi- choice and effort to teach her to think in terms of negotiating for the things that she wanted to have. And at the time, my wife said she resisted that or didn't much like it, and I said, you know what, it'll pay off later on. It's something that mm-hmm. she needs to know how to do. And so for all the years that she was growing up, it she would negotiate with us and it made my my dear wife, her mother, nuts. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that she's a university student, she's fitting in, in her freshman year, fitting in amazingly well as a uh, socially, academically, and she doesn't find herself being homesick or any of these things because that was those were skills that gifts that she had that I encouraged in her when she was when she was little, like three and four and five years old. Because yeah. you were thinking way ahead of way time, ahead. like you know, how is this particular behavior going to be beneficial or detrimental twenty years from now? Yes, and then and then act now on that. Yes, yes, and and mm-hmm. Sandra, may I back up? for a moment, because you moved into this theme here when you talked about being aware. And I know that, and I'll let you decide what you want to, how you want to comment on this, if at all, but the whole mindfulness movement about awareness and acting in a, in a mindful and aware and conscious way, I imagine knowing you that you probably have uh, more, one or more things to say about how you perceive mindfulness, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. it's almost like you're either in your conscious mind or your subconscious mind. And most of us are walking around 95% of the time, some of us lucky enough to walk around only 90% of the time, in your subconscious mind. So you think about every time you get in the car, are you aware of the pressure of the seat underneath you? How much pressure are you putting on the gas or the brake? and where your hands are on the steering wheel. And most of us are thinking about something else while we're driving, and our subconscious mind gets us to our destination alive and on time. So 
it's not just when we're driving, it's when we're washing the dishes, when we're cooking, when we're doing so many different activities, we're just doing it by rote. It's our subconscious mind that's taking over. And if, when you are in your conscious mind and you're completely present, you are making decisions based on what's happening right now. The more present you are, the more you're making clear decisions as opposed to decisions that have been filtered by past events that are only subconsciously related to the current event that's happening right now. So let's talk about relationships. When you're interacting with somebody that you're in a relationship with, if you are not fully present, it's easy to take things personally, to feel like they're criticizing you or they're not that you're not good enough or et cetera, et cetera, which has nothing to do with what's actually happening in your interaction right now, but because you're not fully in your conscious mind, subconscious programming gets to sneak in and interfere with your relationship. Or when you're doing some you know, working on a project. And if you're not fully conscious on working on that project, that means that subconscious programming can come in, whatever, whether it's you believe that you can do this and you're the best person at doing this project, or whether you have doubts, maybe they promoted you to a level you're not sure of, maybe you're doing something that's a little bit out of your comfort zone and you've got some doubts creeping in. That's where the mindfulness becomes very beneficial to people because you start to fully interact with life as it is now and not from whatever past stuff happened to you that you're not even consciously aware of. Yeah, and I'd like to just add in too, I think sometimes we can do our very, very best to be very consciously present in any situation, but let's say there's a relationship um, that we're dealing with and <clears throat> we have an exchange of information and we walk away from that interchange and we realize that we're starting to feel a certain way. Those feelings oftentimes are not from the conversation itself, but they're from the subconscious patterns and programs that are playing out that we don't even have awareness of. So let's say you have a, you know, a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife, and they're having this discussion about something that they see differently, and the wife walks away and says, oh, he'll, he'll just never get what I'm talking about. Well, that may not be her saying that. That might be her mother, you know, saying that in her mind. She's, you know, she's playing into the old tapes of of what happened in her home as a child. And so we if we're having feelings of frustration or, you know, we're we're bogged down with stuff, really a great idea to step out of that and say, okay, so what's really going on here? What are the feelings I'm having right now at this moment? And are these the feelings I really want to have about the subject matter at this moment? Because if, if we say, no, that's not what I really want to feel about this, then we need to stop back and say, okay, there may be some other limiting beliefs I have that are creating this experience for me. Or maybe I have an old situation that I'm just replaying from my parents. And when we can start developing that level of awareness, it takes us into an even deeper level of that mindfulness where we can then say, all right, I want to get proactive. I want to change this setup because this setup is not serving me. My husband's desire to have this or that happen or we need to make this decision, I need to be able to make this decision 
regarding what's best for us, not what my old programs are from my parents or my grandparents or even their parents because sometimes we find that there's really this generational carry through and even our own parents don't know what was going on. There's a story about, um, maybe people have heard this before, but I think it might fit in nicely here, about um, a young woman um, has invited her mother over for some kind of a, a dinner and there, she's made a ham or she's purchased a ham and she gets out this big knife and she whacks off the end of the ham and the mother looks at her and, and says, why are you doing that? And she says, mom, you've always done it this way. And the mother says, well, let's see, my, my mother, my mother always did it that way. And that mother, the girl's or the young woman's grandmother is still alive. And, and they say, let's ask her why she, you know, what that was all about. Why do we whack off the end of the ham? And so they get to the, the grandmother and the grandmother says, because the pan wasn't big enough. But <laughs> it's been handed down through the generations of like, this is, this is the way we do hams, you know. <laughs> and, and it was simply because the pan wasn't big enough for the grandmother. That's why she whacked off the end of the ham. But it was misconstrued. And now the young woman is doing it without having any reason or knowing why. Right. Isn't that a weird? It's a if you use a an example like that, it's so blatant. But we do things like that all the time, yes. without ever knowing why. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Sandra, we're we're getting close to the end of our conversation, and I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to um, tackle any subject or a thought that you might have that we haven't discussed yet. And um, so let me just turn it over to you and see if you have anything else you want to share. Well, I want people to know that there is a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is a physical event that happens in the moment. Suffering is a psychological event that continues on long after the event has happened. And suffering is completely unnecessary. There are a lot of people out there suffering from things that are no longer happening to them right now, and they don't need to at all. Wow. Thank you for the clarification of that. That is beautiful. And we can deal with the suffering using the processes of Psyche. Yes, exactly. Wow. Fabulous. Thank you for that, that big whammy. Is there anything more you want to say about it? Stop suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Do something constructive. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's so you, without suffering, you open yourself up to so much joy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you have an, an offer for our listeners, and you have on your website, artoflovinglife.com, you have a free subconscious beliefs quiz and people can download this free quiz and discover which areas of life are being held back by limiting beliefs. Yes. Fantastic. So that they can access that at any time, I guess, because it's That's on your right. website. So again, that website is artoflovinglife.com and you can just go there and is there like a button or something on the website that points people yeah. to that okay it's, to that little quiz it's right on the home page fabulous fabulous all right well for those of you that would like to um, connect with Sandra 
Um, here is her website and her email address and phone number. So get a pen and paper handy. And here we go. So the name of your business is, um, now you've got Art of Loving Life. Is that the name of the book or is that, um, is Stress and Tell the name of your business? It's also the name of my, it's also the name of my book. Stress and Tell is the biz, part of my business that does stress management trainings for companies. Ah. Uh, but the private practice is under Art of Loving Life, which just happens to be the name of my first book as well. Fantastic. All right. So again, that website is artoflovinglife.com. And you can reach Sandra at 720-378-8080. So again, it's 720-378-8080. And your email address is Sandra, and that's uh, S is in Sam, A-N-D-R-A dot... Tabo, and it's T is in Tom, H is in Henry, E is in Edward, B is in boy, A is in apple, U as in umbrella, D is in dog, dot, PhD, at gmail.com. So, Sandra, thank you so much for such an engaging conversation. I really enjoyed our time today and uh, look forward to having you come back on and share with us again at a later date. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. Yes, 2016 is going to be the year of miracles. You got it. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, have a wonderful rest of the day, everybody, and thank you for joining us here at Choice Point Radio. And our program today was Shifting uh, Trauma Effortlessly with Sandra Tabode, Dr. Sandra Tabode. Have a great, great week. Dr. Sandra Tebo is available for in-person consultations in the Denver metro area or by phone and Skype worldwide. She can be reached at 720-378-8080 or by email at sandra, S-A-N-D-R-A dot Tebo, T-H-E-B-A-U-D dot P-H-D at gmail.com sandra.tebo.phd at gmail.com To experience Psych-K with any of the Psych-K professional facilitators who are trained by Karen Mackay, visit the Private Sessions tab on the subconsciouschange.com website. Learn more about Psych-K or schedule a Psych-K workshop. Contact Karen Mackay, an international certified Psych-K instructor. Email Karen at subconsciouschange.com or call Karen at 719-648-3070. Thank you for listening today and be sure to check back for other programs from Choice Point Radio. This is a joint production of the Choice Point Radio Network and StreamThink LLC. Copyright 2016 by Choice Point Radio.